cliffcentral.com. Okay, 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 okay. Right on. It is Thursday morning, which means it's time for the burning platform. This is where we check out all the big things that are happening in the world, especially here in South Africa. We're looking at what has probably been our biggest overarching concern politically, economically, socially over the last year. And it hasn't got much, much better because it's being administered by people who don't know what the hell they're doing. So in order to talk about this, and we don't mean to depress you at the end of the year, but it's worthy of discussion. And I like hearing from lots of people who have lots of opinions on this because you actually don't know what's going on until you hear from everybody. And we've got such a person in this morning, Adil Nchabeleng, who is a, um, he's, you're a crown prince. I didn't know this about you, Adil. Just uh, explain that to us quickly. Uh, well, it's, um, it's a defect of birth, but... No, defect of birth, but that's quite a yeah, big deal. Yeah. So must I call you your highness? Look, uh, I'm a very easy person. I'm a simple man. And uh, the title comes with the fact that I was born in a crown, uh, uh, what you call a space. As a royal a family. Crown prince of Yam, yeah, the Chabele. My surname is a village from the Limpopo. Okay. Coming in within the whole Limpopo royalty is part of our family. So Damn right. That's I like where I'm coming in from. Well, I'm delighted, Your Royal Highness, to have you here today. <laughs> and thank you for coming to talk to us about energy, because I think that's a very big deal. Um, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating the point, I think, mm. when I say that this has been the overarching issue for so many South Africans. Am I wrong, Pumi? For so many years. For so many years. So, Adil, let's talk a little bit about your 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 day-to-day, which is that you're the president of Transformer RSA, which is an independent energy business and consulting business. Yeah. So you must have had a lot of work because ESCOM's such a disaster. There must be loads and loads of people. I've seen you on with JJ Tabani. Mm. Uh, I've seen you on with Leanne Manis. Mm. And it seems to me that you are offering some insights here that the others are not. So let's just start off with how you got into this. How did you get into Look, energy? I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a trained investment banker. I come from okay. a financial and economic environment. And uh, one of the things that drove me into understanding the space of energy is because in part of the portfolios I used to handle from investment banking days, I got to understand the ins and outs mm. from financing, structuring of you know capital, the aspect of operating successful you know uh, SOEs and everything. And we used to advise quite a lot of this main you know SOEs, government, you know private funds, capital, and all of that. So right. I gained a lot of insights. And that was in my previous life over 20 years plus ago when I was still in the corporate space. And then I then took a total different turn. I became an entrepreneur and I went for a social entrepreneur environment where I wanted to help with ensuring that our people can actually have, you know, economic freedom in a way. And that's why we created Transform RSA. One is to transform the economic space of South Africa, make sure that we have equality in terms of people enjoying a similar lifestyle across the spectrum where you don't have black and white as in economically divided. You right. have a South African multiracial nation and society that is completely transformed economically, socially, and then and, and politically as well. You know, and that is why you're seeing we're bleeding and crossing the lines. And that, that's one of the inspirations for me because coming out of a corporate you know, financial sector, banking, investment mm. banking environment, you get to see the capital and the power of capital because it decides lives. They use money to yeah. either correct or destroy a course, you know. And in this case, capital in South Africa has been deployed to destroy in most cases. And that's one of the things that really you know, helped me to go into the capital space, understanding these things. I started off as a, you know, sort of a serial entrepreneur and I still am a serial entrepreneur in a sense that, I invest in ventures, I invest in business opportunities, and I, and then I look at various things that are interesting for money-making. My day-to-day life is managing operations of various entities, on top of it being the president of Transformer SA, as a civil society, you know, slash political movement that wants to see socioeconomic transformation in South Africa, where we go into sectors, we work with a lot of young people, <coughs> Yeah. highly skilled, graduates, qualified in various sectors, where we say to them, take space in sectors, mm-hmm. whether it is to do with telecommunications, if it is to do with agriculture, take your space and be rooted. And after that, make sure that you bring about the transformation that we want to see. And there's a whole lot of guidelines that we take them through the training and development on it. So I'm involved in that space. And from there, 
I select personally from interesting projects that I do is things that I can invest in so that I can generate income. I don't do tenders. I don't work in the government. I'm not interested in government work. I stopped corporate life and working for any entity years ago. And I've been doing my own social engagements, businesses, opportunities, All right. and projects. Well, it gives <laughs> us a little bit of background. Uh, anything you want yeah, to uh, and, ask uh, before so we get the, into, into ESCOM, Pums? No, well, I think an interesting intersection, mm. financing and energy. And I suppose one of the things that over the past three days we've been speaking a lot about is this nuclear deal in the ah. new Gazette, mm-hmm. which, which is also about financing Absolutely. And about energy and capacity mm. back into our grid. And how how different is this deal that is being talked about today from what Jacob Zuma was talking about right. all those many years ago? You know, when you talk nuclear, it's quite a... It's a controversial space, <coughs> but well, I've been only, known only to because, be. And, and let's be clear yeah. about this. It's only controversial because when people talk about nuclear, they immediately yeah. think of... Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, yeah, Fukushima. Yeah. Absolutely. They, do, they forget that there are hundreds of perfectly serviced, yeah. uh, maximal output nuclear power stations all over the world. France is run on nuclear energy. It's cheap. Totally. It's efficient. It delivers the megawatts you need. Mm. Whereas wind and solar and all that bullshit you need, like the whole of the Eastern Cape to be covered in ugly windmills. Half of South to, Africa to be Half of South Africa. Size, yeah. And then what do we have? We have we kill all the birds on these damn things. Uh, they, 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 it's environmental pollution of a different kind. Totally. But, but no one wants to talk nuclear because, as you said, it's controversial now. Look, on the controversial side of it, and I'm glad that you opened it up so well, that uh, nuclear is it's, it's actually the safest. Yes. Show me any population death, deaths of any nuclear. Even Chernobyl didn't kill more than two people. Right. You go to Fukushima, not even one person was killed in Fukushima. But it's this big boogeyman. Why? They, they like the boogeyman story mm. because it gives the credence to the fact that countries that are all nuclear countries are currently the leading militarily, mm-hmm. are currently the leading economically, mm-hmm. and are the most successful. So mm-hmm. if I have that capacity of nuclear capability like South Africa had during the apartheid days, where we had the military element of nuclear, and then we had the energy, and then we had the research part of nuclear as well. Because if you go to Palendawa here at uh, yeah, the, what do you call it, in, in mm, Pretoria, yeah. you find the Nuclear Research Institute there under NEXA. You go to Quebec, you've got the Quebec side, which is now the electricity generation side of it, mm-hmm. which is a plant that does electricity generation and can be used, by the way, to further do water desalination. Right. And you can produce clean water and other, you know, sort of sources. Then you have a situation whereby in Nexa they had companies and, 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 and research institutions there that specialized in isotopes, cancer-related, uh, you know, research and environment. South Africa was leading in terms of producing in that 20, 20 megawatts uh, were nuclear reactor. They were producing a whole lot of medicine. They were the second in the world in terms of producing nuclear medication. Right. And sending it around the world. There's never been a reactor crisis. There's never been a meltdown. There's never been a uh, so-called, you know, nuclear danger type of relation. And we come from a history where the old regime was so keen to disarm everything and to to denuclearize everything that they also liked the boogeyman narrative. Let's also face up to the fact that we we could have gone down the pebble bed modular reactor Mm. path, which was being touted very, you know, openly. It was something that, that for a while government were quite warm to. And then... They put a lot of money into a nuclear and, uh, and then, bed. Right. And then it was just as but quickly But they listened to foreign interests. Americans, the French, mm-hmm. the other British, and all of the other interfering institutions, you know, foreign countries, literally inspired South African politicians to stop the investment. I mean, there were, what, it was an 18 billion investment, which could today have... Completely changed the lives of South Africans. Just like right now, Barbara Creasy, who is our Minister of Environment, is taking pounds and dollars and euros Mm. from those same countries to keep our coal-powered stations running at a minimum, which is part of the reason we also have load shedding. It's not just 
that Madupi and Kusile no, and all these power stations aren't running properly and they aren't and they aren't True. being maintained very well in the old ones and the new ones took so long to come online mm. and there's always problems with the coal and everything else. But a big part of this is also that Barbara Creasy's taken their money yeah. and now she's, she's interfering. Yeah. So part of the reason, ladies and gentlemen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, yeah, yeah, that no. we have a, a, a problem and you don't have lights some of the time, most of the time, is because this bloody Barbara Creasy is meddling. Yeah. <laughs> Look, uh, unfortunately... And she's being paid by foreign interests yeah. to meddle. No, South Africa's environment of electricity Please. generation has been sabotaged. Yes. Because with, let's be clear, I mean, the Department of Environmental Affairs is now a WEF extended agency where they actually right. pull everything that is not even necessary in respect to so-called emissions, environmental pollution, mm -hmm. and anything that relates to industrialization. So to produce anything in South Africa, you get worked with taxes, you get worked with uh, environmental levies, and you are told that certain emissions are not allowed. So if I'm going to be running a power station, you're supposed to be adhering to certain minimum emission standards. And those minimum emission standards, if you don't adhere to, they shut you down. So most of the power plants are not shut down because are not properly functioning. They're shut down because they're not meeting minimum emission standards. And, and the standards are things that we have self-imposed. It's not something that has been created to say it's going to be an environmental disaster. A hundred thousand people will be killed if this power station runs. No, this is an artificial means of, of literally derailing us economically. And and the, the government are party to it. And these are not things that are in our interest, right? Yeah, we signed to the Paris Accord. We signed to the Paris Climate Agreement. Which has you know? done how much for us? Nothing. Totally brought nothing and it's destroyed South Africa's economy. You know, when I wrote uh, yesterday's column, people said to me, but how can you say you are blaming, we were blaming environmental commitments? And I said, of course. The commitments we made on the Paris Climate Accord is the one that has today slowed down our economic transformation, has slowed down our industrialization, has slowed down. We have over 16,000 megawatts of power plants just sitting. And a deal. You ask them why? It's because minimum emission standards. And Adil, isn't it true that environmentally, nuclear is also the safest and the best? Totally. It's, yeah, it's actually least, a net zero. There we There's go. no emissions production. Thank you. And they don't want South Africa to go into it. Now, the Greenies are all up in arms. They're very upset with the fact that one, South Africa has just uh, you know announced that they are going for the 2,500 megawatts in terms of nuclear deal. Mm -hmm. And they don't want nuclear because once you talk nuclear, you don't have any other need. France is not experimenting with any other technology. They are not running around shoving people with solar and all of that because they've got the most robust nuclear energy plants. Reactors across the whole of France, their industries are booming. They've got towns that are just industrial towns and enjoying a quality of life and uninterruption of electricity. The cheapest rate in South Africa, we produce current electricity out of nuclear at 20 cents. A kilowatt hour. <laughs> so, but I still haven't heard how this deal is different from the deal that Jacob Zuma, yeah. all those many years Tom ago, one. was putting on the table. Mbomi, actually, there's no difference. It's just a different administration. 2,500 megawatts from 10,000 megawatts, they've just reduced the, you know, sort of the bulk build to a smaller scale. The same spec is out there, the same proposal that is actually being now adhered to, and the same rules are going to be there. And uh, the, the fact that it's under a different administration is what is deemed as different. But That's other it. than that, there's nothing else. A different president yeah. is what you mean. Because even the Russians are going to be bidding mm. for this nuclear deal. There's a few countries that can do nuclear in the world. And Russians, Chinese, Japanese, you're looking at uh, the French, and then you're looking at the Americans, and they're all going to be competing to be participants. So any any consortium that is going to be participating in this process is going to be working with these few countries that are available. So speaking about, about it being under a different administration, also then alludes to a political agenda, interference, play. And, and I, I want to talk a little bit also about car powership yeah. and mm. guest prom. Mm. And where we are, because mm. these things are not all happening in silos, totally. right? These totally. things happen within a particular environment. Mm. And South Africa being what it is, uh, there's so much um, there's so much money being spent. Yeah. 
and there's so much interference from our politicians, or as they like to call it in certain circles, from the shareholder. Yeah, yeah, right. stakeholder, <laughs> shareholder, stakeholder, <laughs> right? And and so you know, talk to us a little bit about the gas prom deal. Yeah, and as we're having all of these conversations about the fact that every other bidder was essentially excluded by the way in which the specification mm. was written. And so the Russians, yeah. a sanctioned company, is now going to be doing business with South Africa. And what the, the implications of that are. Look, on, on the Gazprom side of it, right, I, I'm not much clued up as to how the deal was structured and as to what the bidding process was. But what I can tell you is, in terms of infrastructure, Gazprom has the money and it will not do what other, for instance, if you were to borrow the money to revitalize and rebuild the, 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 the current Mosul Bay, you know, Petro SA's, uh, you know, uh, refinery infrastructure, you're going to be sitting with a whole lot of unnecessary conditions. Gazprom is not going to bring the same conditions. So Gazprom in this case comes in as a capital partner and comes in as an opportunity to say we want to do a bilateral opportunity with South Africa. You know, we will provide the capital, we will do the joint build in terms of being a partner, and they are going to share, I think, the tariff with regards to refinery tariff. So they keep on structuring the deals in that sense. And I think that's one of the reasons, in my view, that uh, Petro SA chose to go the route of, of, of Gazprom. They were Total and others. The reason why this deal, by the way, has come to the table and is quite a contentious issue is Total has lost the deal. No, also Gazprom is a sanctioned company. Yeah, yeah, because Russia's bad. Because no, Russia not by is South Africa. Russia, Russia bad. Yeah, no, not by another, South Africa. Another boogeyman. South Africa is not sanctioned uh, Gazprom. No. Other countries are working with, for instance, Gazprom has got a South African subsidiary. So are we saying a South African subsidiary of Gazprom is not allowed to participate in South Africa? Which has been in South Africa <clears throat> years before the sanctions against Russia. You know, so are we going to refuse collaborating, having partnerships with countries on the basis that they are sanctions. And worst of all, you know the hypocrisy, and I, I, I write frequently <laughs> about it, that there's a huge hypocrisy with regards to who gets to do with what with who. Ah. America still buys today sanctioned gas mm -hmm. and oil from Gazprom in Russia. Oh. They still continue doing the deal. They even supply Ukraine from Russia with the, uh, what do you call a Russian oil to go fight the battle in Ukraine. So some of these things don't make sense. And, and at some point, as South Africans, yeah. Yeah. we have to get out of the their money. <laughs> Yeah. It is when yeah. you take and their money, them. you know, so you started out talking about yeah. Barbara Greasy mm. and, and the decisions that she is making and the amount of money that the South African government is receiving from various places. Yes. So when you take, as Gates and McKenzie yeah. tells us, when you take the people's money, then they tell you it what comes to do. With their, That's it conditions. comes with their conditions, yeah. you know, and, and these are the things that I, I think, you know, when, when you talk you call it hypocrisy, but mm. I think when you talk about the the various shifting sands yeah. at play, yeah. it really is about the fact that none of these things happen in silos. They are all interconnected. Correct. And on the one side, when you have a president who walks around with a begging bowl, mm. taking everybody's money, you find yourself in situations. <laughs> no. You, you, yeah. you do. You find yourself with conditions yeah. that tie you up. Mm. And and I think that the, there is also, your article in, the, yeah. in IOL is also around the fact that a lot of these problems that we have mm. are really self-imposed or self-created because of the way in which we make decisions. But let me ask you a question, right? We are Africans here. Middle-aged. Again, the age. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm bringing yeah, you're you looking for trouble elite. now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're young Africans, right? Let me start it that way. So, <clears throat> on those basis, as young Africans, imagine how demeaning and derogatory is when you're supposed to be a sovereignty. Say we're running a country. And then somebody from outside your own country and state, hmm. comes and tells you, in order to run this country, not their country, in order to run this country, you must do X, Y, Z hmm. in order to be compliant. 
There's a good state and everything. And on top of it, insult your intelligence. Because that's what they're doing, this yes. organization, these countries around the world. They come here and they insult our intelligence. They come and tell us, you're not supposed to be doing nuclear because you're an African country and we, can't trust we, we don't trust you. You yeah. don't have the capability, you know, and you have not shown us that you can be trusted. Who says I must be adhering to such regulation and rules, you know? And and this politics, and uh, unfortunately, our politicians are so old <coughs> that they are scared. I mean, you can't put Minister Barbara Chrissy in a position to go and negotiate when she's already at a frail age in her life. You know, everything is scary. You know, you, <laughs> even just being older in that generational <laughs> gap is strange <laughs> because <coughs> you're not able to stand your ground. You need bolder young people who can go and negotiate on the table and say, guys, no, no, no. This condition, we are not going to agree. We are going to take this. We're going to take that because it's in our best interest. Because right. it's, Look, politics I, is about your interests. Politics is about interests. But I do also think that it is, it, it's not just that they are old. No, it's and because it, they are old no, that they I are think scared. It is, I think it is because they are, they are not experts in the area in which they are operating. So you have a Barbara Creasy yeah, who comes yeah. from education, basic education back mm. in the day, who was in finance and treasury at another time, and okay, now she's sitting in this position. But she's position. been in government since 94. And, and what she we don't so, have, so but, but also what we don't have she's is we don't, in, have she's the, government. we don't have the support infrastructure. You know, so who are, who are the researchers, who no, are no, the no, analysts, no, who are supporting no, no, but, her? But hold on. She mm. does mm. not have, mm. so, she does not have so, the right amount of knowledge or skill for having no, she to sit across the table with energy You're right, but, but then you could argue that for mm. energy ministers in almost every country in the world. Yeah, Very true. seldom. You see, Are the, they experts the, in energy? Yeah. There's, a, there's an agenda that yeah. is being and pushed and if you, if you are compliant, you get to keep your job mm. because there's Greta Thunberg telling the yeah. whole world what to do. But Barbara Creasy's never come up on this show. She yeah. never came up because she's like not an interesting or. No, but nobody knows what she, does. Knows what she does. That is very. <laughs> but you're, but, but Adil just said she's been there since '94. Now, yeah. I brought her up this morning because when we look at ESCOM and we're trying to find who to blame, I always bring up that in my letter to the president that got me into trouble all those years ago, yeah, I yeah. mentioned Alec Irwin, mm. who was also a problem. Yeah. But Barbara Creasy is a major policy hack in, in the government. She mm. is one of the people who actually writes the policy. A lot of our ministers are performative. Yeah. They dance around, they make a noise, they make a speech, they're there for the cabinet meetings, True. but they probably sleep. She's one of those diligent little socialists who's been working hard in the background to pump out really crap policy. And because everyone else is so lazy, True. her policies get accepted and they get signed off on and a few of them actually get enacted. Mm. And what we're sitting with at the moment is an energy crisis as a result, not of just incompetence, though mm. that's a part of it, but also of her particular competence. Totally. <laughs> I, I mean, Gareth has said a mouthful. I don't even need to add much on that. You are spot on with that analysis because it is those silent players that are the most destructive. Remember when the president went to, to this last week or two weeks ago uh, on the 30th of November to mm -hmm. the COP28? The first thing he does he gets to there and he sees the UN, they have a special meeting between South Africa and the United Nations. You know, he sees the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, Antonio Guterres. Yeah. Without being asked, he suddenly pops out this document, huge, thick document. We have not even seen it as South Africans, by the way. He pops it out and says, here's our uh, path to commitment in terms of decarbonization and removing coal. Uh -huh. Oil and fossil fuels yes. from our economy. Now come along. Like, he, he presents that document. Come along like good little Who slaves. Who wrote the document? Come along like good little slaves and sign exactly. This. And, and Guterres, out of his innocence, says, "I'm so impressed because South Africa is the only country, not one of only country in the world that had, had written and submitted to the United Nations a document that says how they are going to follow." the United Nations, you know, climate, uh, what you call a committee, in terms of decarbonization. No any other country has done it. And that's when I realized, and I said, we have sellouts here. Why would we have, a, you know, a government go to the United Nations and de commit themselves to literally destroying Pumi, our economy? Pumi said it. She said, we go with the begging bowl. Yeah. That's what we do. We see easy money. That's it. If we just put up enough solar and we put up enough... Wind 
and we just follow Greta Thunberg and the WEF, then we'll 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 get the money. And all they want's the money. That's all. They don't think about the long term implications. They're not thinking about Kanejo writing his exams in matric in a couple of years. Well, now, right? They're not interested in our our future. They're not thinking about that. And where's the same people, by the way, are owners of mines. Yes. They are owning shares in Glencore. They are owning shares in companies that are transporting coal right up to Mozambique that have moved away from Richards Bay. They are owning all the other industries that are heavy fossil fuels related. And then how to do it? To whitewash it nicely, to remove the guilt. They go in and say, listen, guys, we are going to invest in renewables. We will put up solar as well as the wind farms as a means to remove our guilt away from the profits, the obscene amounts of profits they make on an annual basis on other heavy heavy fossil fuels industry. The supply of fuel in South Africa, if you go the top five, all of them are currently mostly related to the current administration people. So there are certain things we, we shouldn't be shy in saying the truth yeah. and they are beneficiaries. You know, Baba Chrissy probably is eyeing a job in, you know, after this post ministerial. She can't be eyeing a job. No, oh, they don't feel that old. You will be shocked. They always want to go on. <laughs> they will be at 90 and still wanting right, well. to knock it. Well, what, are, what, what, what then? What then is the path to success? What then is the path to success for a country like South Africa that that really finds itself in in a very precarious position in that we don't produce the kind of power we need mm-hmm. to build an economy. And we have now tied ourselves up with all sorts <clears throat> of um, commitments mm. to, to greenwashing mm. and environmentally friendly yeah. or acceptable by Western standards. Yeah, yeah. That, that we cannot get to a place where we're going to be. And South Africans sit in the dark yeah. for up to 10 hours, 12 hours a day at times. What then is the path to success for a, a country like that? And no. we don't have the money. Go, the Adil, no pressure. Go. You've got to answer the most difficult question there, ever there, there's no there, There's no path to success because all that's going to happen is there's going to be a total deterioration. And remember... These countries that are competing with South Africa, Germany is not a friend of South Africa. America is not a friend of South Africa. The UK, the US, China, and all of them. Mm. They look at South Africa at the competitor's eye. How do I remove my competitors out of their excellence? I completely (coughs) destroy them from inside to make sure that they have no capability. Electricity is the only available commodity that if you use well, you will be highly successful. That is why when you go to countries like China and everywhere, do you know in China, if you if you export, for instance, coal, they will hang you and kill you? <laughs> will they really? hang you and no, kill you? No, they don't have tolerance. Do the, do the no, they'll do, do that. Do they have coal yeah. of their own? Oh, they use, they, but they burn a lot of coal. They burn it, but they have Plenty. their own coal. China is one of the largest coal deposits in the world. Nobody talks about their coal and how they use their coal. It's got the largest. They export from us what they use industrially, the high-quality one that they use for industrial purposes and everything. But they are lower quality. They are using it in their plants and everything. China does not allow the export of any of their minerals in the class of minerals. Many other countries don't allow as well. Mm. We are the only African countries that allows for holes to be dug. Oh, yeah. All our resources. And then everything taken up, shipped as dust as it is, Right. Un- unbeneficiated, unprocessed, mm-hmm. undeveloped, untransformed. And then we take it off for somebody else to go into the final stage. Because we're good slaves. Thank you. Yeah, because that's what we were built for. And the way that, that was, you know, the entire economy. So, so how do consider, you guarantee the success that you're talking we about? Were, we were built for. And how yeah. all our industries have been developed up to this point was really to supply it to uh, the Look, the mother. You, you can fault the Afrikaners, right, on, on apartheid. That was an evil, devilish plan to segregate people on race yeah. and humiliate them at a racial level. Remove that part and look at what they then did for their survival 
at an infrastructure, economy, technology level. You cannot fault them. Because when they found themselves at the back foot of the pressure of global interest, they had to become economically self-sustainable yeah. and independent. They build the industries, they build the power stations, they made sure that there's water. Remember this uh, the Val River as well as the, the Val Basin of coal and everything was not even a natural river, by the way. Dr. Van der Bell, they pulled out a dredge. They drenched out from Lesotho. They drenched out that whole uh, canal mm. that ran from Lesotho right up to the Val area, which now became the, the, the Val River, you know, a thing that we use in Gauteng for the water. They drenched it from as far as that, pulling it right into Gauteng into making sure that we have a water for industrial purposes. Then there was an exchange between Lesotho and South Africa to say, if you provide us with the water, we will continuously provide you with electricity as our spin of benefit. Okay, and Adil, when, when, when did this government last do a project of that scale? Mm. I don't think they ever have. Never. No, no, right. no. We, we're too far away. I mean, the people there, they can't do it. I told you they're too old and <laughs> most of them are just too scared. Anything you bring to the table, they first want to know. It's what a lot is. of ageism in today's show. With, <laughs> with Ben earlier, the sport with the old wives. No, but, I mean, don't uh, Garrett, what do you expect? You've handed over a country like South mm. Africa, an incredible country. You know, I've been around the world everywhere. I still come back here and say this is an amazing country. The beauty, the space, everything that we enjoy. You don't find it anywhere in, you, in the world. And so, we have handed it over as our generation. And we refuse to participate because we are intimidated by these personalities yeah, that are playing it's politics. A, it's a disgrace. And, and it is partly, you know, as Madiba said, it's in your hands. But all we've yeah. done is, is, is keep our hands dirty rather than wash them. Yeah. Now, I need to ask you because as an energy guy... There has been an enormous opportunity which has been exploited by very smart people with solar and everything. Mm. It's getting off the grid. Yeah. I know so many people are getting off the grid. Obviously, this is bad news for ESCOM yeah. in the long run. But they're so stupid, they don't even see it. Yeah. Um, and if they, if they do see it, they, 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 they're so incompetent and they have no answers. So they go, well, any solution is a good solution. Mm. And then even Barbara Creasy's policies get thrown on the floor. Mm. So what is the future for independent energy producers in South Africa, especially in the light of the fact that Gwedek keeps telling us, oh, no, no, he's going to allow everybody else to add their power to the grid. Do you think that that could be a way out for us? Oh, independent power producers? Yeah. There's no state in the world that runs on any independent power production. None? None. Zero. If, if you find one, then you will find a Jamaica, you would find a Caribbean country that just uses electricity for lighting, there's no industry, there's nothing, you know, and then you become a tourist destination hub for, you know, people who want to be in a bit of a hippie mood and, you know, <laughs> smoke a bit of grass and enjoy life. But <laughs> apart from that, there's nothing else that you can do. I mean, you know, so to be industrial, to develop at a, at a mechanical engineering technological scale that we need, you need massive electricity and that electricity cannot be produced from the current sources that we have. Unfortunately, the science is not yet even fixed on it where you can use solar and uh, wind in order to produce enough sufficient capacity. In Europe, what they've done, they use nuclear, they back it up, they back up their wind uh, farms with nuclear. As the wind comes in, they utilize it and then they use nuclear to balance it off because there's a science around it. You know, electricity is not just produced as and when, like you would produce, for instance, when the sun is shining, mm. there's an inverter that does the balancing, right. and then it stores, and then it makes sure that when there is no availability of electricity, it kicks in the battery, and then it uses ESCOM, uh, for instance, to balance out in terms of all of that. So what has happened is we rushed into adoption, not having the necessary technology capability. This electricity capability has been around for 200 years, the most proven. It started with DC, which is direct current. Now it's running on DC and uh, alternative current. And it's, it works. It's the cheapest form of electricity. And it's the cheapest form of industrialization. You go to China, you ask somebody about their electricity bill, they'll laugh at you because it doesn't exist. They don't sell electricity for living. They sell electricity for industrialization. They want to see the electricity bill. They'll show you all these things that they've built 
I mean, it's incredible. So you hang on, that's, that's, a, that's quite a big deal because, you know, often <coughs> people like Fikilim Balula who are, who are going around saying, ah, oh, the perfect template for us. No, don't do that, Pumi. Don't. Just let me finish with Fikile before you start. Like, <laughs> Pumi's put her head in her hands when I just mentioned Fikilim Balula. But he keeps saying to us, mm. China is the perfect template. We must follow them. They're a blueprint for what South Africa could be. Because The president like, said. The president said it too. Yeah. Not just uh, Grandma Fikile. So, so why are they not doing it locally? You're telling me China, they do not charge people electricity for household purposes and to live. They only charge heavy industry and industry as a whole. That's where the income comes from to pay for energy for everyone. And they've got over a billion people. Huge. Huge. The industries are not even charged for electricity utilization. They charge them an offset taxes. Taxes to create the jobs, to create the industries, to create the opportunities, to create the export environment. So electricity is not a commodity in China. Electricity is the strength of the state to create this magic that they've created. That's why, you know, everybody's got everything. The lights are on. Everything is on. They don't, they don't, they're not like us. They say, no, switch off this and all. Everything is a light because they need it for development. You go to Gonzo, you go to uh, what you call a Shanghai, you go to their city. And I, I'm not talking from something I've not been there. I've been there myself. Mm-hmm. I've traveled China. I've gone through the provinces, unlike most people. And I've seen the industries. And the, the so-called Chinese labor system they talk about that is so slave-based, I've gone into some of these factories and I've asked the young people, how do you feel about your job? They're extremely happy. <coughs> to point where I even... not allowed to say <coughs> they're not happy. <coughs> no, no. I would have seen their unhappiness because <coughs> you would have seen the conditions. I followed them up to the places where they stay. <coughs> and you'll see. Take that quality of life. Compare it to a child in Africa. Yeah. Who has to go decobalt with their bare hands. Yeah. They have rare earth minerals in China. They have cobalt in others. Mm. You've never seen a child digging uh, on the earth using scoops and, and funny uh, metal uh, buckets and all that crap, you know, running around on the hills and trying to make this. So I, I, somebody says, they said, no, China is better. I said, if that is what you call bed, please bring it to South Africa then. We can yeah. work with that bed. It's at that level where it, at least the kids will have an opportunity to get out of the poverty the state of uh, an untransformation that they are being, you know, subjected to. 80% of South Africans are poor. Yeah. Just go out of hunting, you'll see for yourself. 80% of South Africans are poor. So we'd rather sacrifice the 80% on the what? The joyfulness and happiness of a 1% and yeah. the, the, this 5%, which is us, the middle class, who enjoy the best of everything and we can have our lattes. And as a result, we don't care about the extended relatives that we have who are poor and isolate and, you know, enjoying that life. So I'm passionate on energy because I know it's spin-off effect on changing lives, on transforming the economy. And South Africa, had we done what we inherited from the former apartheid government in terms of infrastructure, we would have been one of the best today. You use an interesting word, sacrifice. Yeah. Which was also in in your article, the word sacrifice, that South Africa has sacrificed. Absolutely. Or the South African government has sacrificed mm. our economy to appease climate um, climate activists. Mm. Fanatics. Yeah, fanatics. Greta Thunberg. <laughs> Gareth Liv just said it. You know. No, she's a fanatic. <laughs> And who? Why should we be listening to some Swedish chick about yeah. what we do with our, our our power? It's outrageous. So, you know, and I think for me, more than just laying out all of these various things, it's mm. all quite interesting to hear it. It's it's also important that we are able to once we've identified what we think the problems are, mm. consider how to move forward from where we are. You know, so when it's going to take a war, Bumi. What does it take? It takes a war. At yeah. this rate, let me tell you. What do you mean it takes a war? It's going to take a war. South Africa is in the, it's between the two precipices. And I can tell you politically because I'm involved, right? You've got the moderates who are interested in, in shunting around, talking nonsense globally and going to all of these things and pleasing and following the electoral process. Yeah. They get elected and when they get elected, they get read the script. 
Yes. Because the ones that decide the election outcomes, tell them how the state should run and operate. You need a new breed of, of literally rebellious Africans who are confident enough, intelligent enough, who are sophisticated, who are not going to take it lying anymore. And saying, guys, we can't accept this, we can accept that. And that to happen, I can assure you, is going to take war. The electoral root process is all right. It's, it's numbed us for 30 years. We've seen it works. You need to go what other countries in Africa have done, by the way. Like what you find in uh, these other countries that are taking away power from these old men, in, uh, whether it's Burkina Faso, Mali, and everything. And they're saying, sure. listen, we're going to change the, the, the circumstance of our people, and we want to do it to make sure that we benefit. So I don't see any other route. EFF, if they come into power, let's say 2028, in a full power basis, they are, if they don't do what is militarily militant, <laughs> then they are, they, they're just going to be part but of that. They, 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 they they're don't, even more craven than the ANC. Yeah. You know? This is the problem is that they, they are the kind of, no, uh, they, they would form the kind of government that would be even more desperate to take foreign money and uh, sit on their own. Then that's hopeless. Except if, for if the that's a trajectory that. they're going to follow. It's hopeless. Mm. Remember, countries trade each other's capability. We exchange mineral resources because we think that's the only thing we are good at. Other countries exchange their human resources, they exchange, they exchange their technology, they exchange their military power. The U.S. tells you, we've got enough nukes to shut your country down in one day, which is nuclear nukes. No, the, I mean, I'll, uh, listen. And you're going to give us your the oil. The entire economy of South Africa is the size of Delaware. We mm. could, we could yeah. it, it could be submerged <laughs> in the ocean and no one would feel the blimp. Mm. No one would feel the blimp. Okay, so I, I don't know if that is the reason why. So how did the Africaners do this, it? I don't know if the, that is the reason why we, we get this kind of um, attention or backlash. But I do want to talk, I think it's very glib to say that it is going to take war to change the situation that we you. are in. Because words, you 15 also years from the, now onwards. Hold on, because you also use <laughs> the example of the rest of the continent. Mm. And after all of the many years and all of the various wars, we spoke about cobalt uh, a, a little bit ago, uh. which is Congo, right? And after all the war that they have been through, uh. they have not come out on the other side any better. No, no, no. Africa. So how 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 <laughs> is it that you see a war I, I bringing us out on the other side better? Before we even talk about good. the capability of being in war, because yeah. I can tell you for free that none of those EFF fighters, as they call themselves, have ever you, faced you a the bullet coming in their direction. Have never faced a bullet coming in their direction. So they're never <laughs> going to be the ones who are going okay. to take up any kind of arms against anyone. Let me tell you the war we're talking about. Power shifting it's either by overthrowing the current into a new one and that's going to happen i'm i'm saying 15 years period we're going to have a power shift that is going to either be decisive <coughs> or it's going to be like lustrous <coughs> right but there's going to be a change of guard in terms of an attitude on leadership and it's going to be militarily in south africa what they but we don't about, even have a military <coughs> no 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 not the military here we're talking about an arab spring Oh, you mean people just say we've had enough? People would have enough. Fall. And then they will inst install a new leadership. And I'm saying South Africans this. don't have that capacity. Yeah, right now they don't. But it's getting to the point where they're going to have it. Who are, who are those people as we talk about them? Who are those 80 people? 80% of the current unemployed. You know and how? we are talking about <coughs> the fact that to get into any kind of a physical, mm. military, as you say, physical fight requires two things. Mm. Not just the strength of getting into the slug first, but also the willingness. And I'm saying to you, South Africans don't have that kind of bravery in them. So you want to tell me, among most South Africans, we are not going to be organized to a point where we said it's enough and whatever happens must happen. We can't organize ourselves to show <coughs> up at the ballot. No, no, it's actually... <laughs> which is, it's currently which is, forming. Which asks very little no, of you. It, it asks you to, right now, to get up in the it's morning like a and brewing go to situation a, where everybody's going to find themselves in a completely collapsed economy, a completely collapsed state, no money, because when it affects the ones that are at the high echelon, then everybody feels the pain, right? Government is shrinking in terms of employment. The ones that are currently creating the buffer, when they take away the social support grants, 
you're going to find people now taking agitation to the streets. And again, I'm giving you this insight for totally what I see happening. There are groupings in South Africa that are currently feeling the fact that we have tried the democratic route, we are not successful. We are trying the political route, we are not successful. Now, what is the only other option left is to go back and revive the liberation process and struggle. Mm. And that is another thing. The war part of it is South Africans are too comfortable. They don't want to go into a war. But there will be a power shift. But there will be a determination of action to say, in this power shift, how are we going to do it? Because, like, how, for instance, after the Afrikaners were thrown into uh, concentration camps by the British, they went back to negotiating after losing the war to say, give us the industrial capacity, give us the backing and support. We will rebuild the country and we can look after the British interest. And that was the deal that was made in yeah. 1902. <clears throat> Post that, this is what you have in South Africa that is developed and transformed. But in between that, there were periods where they had to work harder to make sure that they are building themselves at every level of competency. We have lost the competency in South Africa because, one, we didn't have the capability in terms of foresight leadership. Why do you think the West was so keen to demilitarize nuclear in South Africa? Well, obviously, and trust the ANC. Exactly. And the other thing is the core skills and capability because the military is an industry on its own. It's got all the facets of economy you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And with the demilitarized nuclear capability, it meant South Africa had to be plunged into another form of de-industrialization process. You couldn't build ships, you can't do steel, you can't do technology, you can't do high, uh, what do you call it, uh, enrichment of whatever, uranium, you can't mine, you can't do... So there's a whole lot of other things. I'm just running through it to just give you a horizon. The current, uh, current people like myself and a few others who are really looking at this madness and saying, either we are too dumb as Africans, or we are just totally lethargic in a real sense. Because how much can you enjoy of your own success when majority of your people are unsuccessful? Yeah, well. It's an indictment. It so is. at some it's point, it. you're going to have to stand up. But Pumi, are you saying that it doesn't matter because people are not, they're not sufficiently pissed off to do anything? Is that, is that it? Yeah, I think more than just sufficiently pissed off. Mm. The, 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 the will, the thing that South Africans do very well is make a different plan, yeah, right? We, we, so South Africans plan. would rather make a Correct, different plan. Yeah. South, Africans, yeah. <laughs> South Africans of means, yeah. what South Africans of means do is they've got boreholes. I mean, I saw on my social yeah. media the other day, I got an ad <laughs> for like somebody who does water table, whatever, mm. to see if you can get a borehole. Because why we're now having a conversation about Johannesburg water, here in Johannesburg at least, we're having a conversation about Joburg water mm -hmm. and the infrastructure not being sufficient, da da da, da. Mm. The number of solar panels that you have seen go up in various places, not just in the suburbs, by yeah. the way, even in yeah, the townships, definitely. right? Definitely. Because that's what South Africans do. And they opt out of the system. They have to look to themselves. But remember, Even today, me, that is just for personal use. I, I it will agree keep your lights on you. in the house. I Take away ESCOM, put, away, put up all that infrastructure. In three days, you'll be running back and saying, why is ESCOM not working? Because it only works as a backup system. And that's where the limitations are. Off-grid is another total debate. You need two million to run an off-grid for a one household. Total off-grid. Yeah, but all I'm saying to you is that what we sit with mm. currently in South Africa is we also have a a macro or a mass mart. Mm. Or what, what are they called now? Whatever, yeah, the, the right? retailer, who, mega retailers. Who then goes, okay, so the, the system is failing us, the mm. backup, the electricity is not a, so what we're going to do is we're going to turn <coughs> all our parking lots into solar nothing wrong and, and this is light. what we're going to do and this is what happens with South Africans You'll get instead the of getting instead of getting upset and saying how do we change mm. the Barbara Creases and the Cyrils and the da 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 all those businesses mm. don't say we're fucked if we don't fix this they yeah. say no 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 let's support this government yeah that's the problem and, Big and problem. prop it up That's no. what happens. Uh, where, I've, where I've already spotted it, I'm telling you, it's a brewing reality. South Africans, are, uh, yes, for personal basis, 
I will <laughs> opt to say, let me be safe. But when it comes to the industrial capability and you no longer have that safety net, we're going to go back to demanding that we must have a functional state. Because if you're saying it's going to be completely each man for himself, then you have a complete, I mean, that that's worse than even a rebellion. You'll have a collapsed country, which was a former colony, like you find in Africa, mm. where only a few rich and handful will enjoy everything because they have capital. They bring money from wherever. But we're already there in some ways. Yeah, yeah, we are. In many ways. And that's ways. why most people are unhappy with the situation. Uh. Try today. Which is also why when when you say a, a, a military or fight no, or, war, or, or war, yeah. as it were, and and use the rest of the continent as, no, no. as the, the... The wars in the continent, Bumi, had nothing to do with African liberation. <laughs> Those ones were mineral wars <laughs> to do with resources. The proper militant group uh, genocidal tribalism. Yeah, yeah. The, that one has got nothing to... All, all wars in Africa, anything from 1960 that was wars, had nothing to do with liberation because most African countries were liberated before 1960. Right. So apart from that... You're not gonna. What we're talking about is people saying this is an Arab Spring. Too much is enough, and we need now to have our own sovereignty of enjoying, because we have tasted good things. You want to continue living it? You're not gonna go back to some village, put up a shed, uh, what you call a hut, and then mm. have a little bit of solar and say I'm gonna enjoy the environment and the atmosphere. I don't have an income. I don't have industries, and I'm fine. And as long as nah, you know, one work. once a year I could get, hop onto a bus and then go to some destination. Not going to happen. We've tasted the best of everything. The cars, the lifestyle. That's you me know. moving to Burkeville. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So even moving to Cape Town is today an inexpensive exercise. You need money mm -hmm. and you need an economy that mm -hmm. will support that. You need consumers on the other end. Yeah. So that one is going to be a serious mili militant groups are going to start rising up and saying, listen, guys, correct this nonsense, get a state in place. That's going to work. Not disruptive like people fighting for who's going to control the, what you call it, the reserves of cobalt. And then you have some com country, what you call a company coming from another country, funding military interest. No. But what, what we also see a lot of, so... As you say, people are going to say enough is enough. We need a functioning state, and mm, this is sure. A, a, a state is a uh, armless, legless, brainless mm. entity. It Especially needs brainless. people. Especially brainless. It needs people in there to be the ones who create a functioning system. Correct. You know, we we're talking this week again back to the ESCOM story, mm. um, Dan Marokane being uh, reinstated yeah. and, at ESCOM uh, as an executive and, and now uh, chief executive. And Nyati as, as chairperson, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you need individuals who yeah. are willing to more than just say, I'm comfortable where I am, but to also say my skill, my knowledge, my experience, mm. I am willing to apply it in the state to make things work. Again, South Africans, we're not patriotic like that. We're not interested in being part of that. It's changing. You think it's changing? It's changing. Mm. Uh, read the lingo now on the ground. The younger people are no longer tolerant. They are not the version of our, our parents anymore. They're not the ones who are going to sit back and say, let me continue life quietly and everything. No, it's changing. They're agitated. I mean, look at the amount of groupings that are forming political parties. What's going to happen when they don't win power? Mm. 635 Political parties are registered this year to go and contest next year's election. So it, it already tells you what's going on in the ground. I'm not, I'm not sure whether to be excited by what you're saying or terrified. No, no, don't be terrified. It's not going to be a, blood, a bloody war. There's going to be a power shift. Whether it happens through the EFF process where they come into government as a militant, you know, a socialist militant, or in the future it happens whereby another group comes in and says, listen, guys, we are too organized. You guys are not organized and you don't have a vision to lead. Step aside <coughs> on a proper coup. It will, it's a possibility for South Africa. Mm. On a proper coup to say, no, no, step aside. You're not organized. Mm. They're not going to kill rampantly South Africans and have a tribal war. No, no. South Africa is integrated to that point where nobody wants tribalism to reign anywhere. They want to see their successful lives and they want to see a leader who they can back up. <coughs> One of the reasons that people didn't really understand why Zuma had a very strong charismatic thing is 
he brought back the hope of it is possible for Africans to do it. And that's why people still have the affinity to the following you know <coughs> Zuma in terms of that because he came in and changed the rules of the game at an international level. He went and did things that most leaders could not attempt to do. We are going to be a BRICS. We are going to start a bank. We are going to do this development. They built two biggest power stations in his time in South Africa. Midubi and Kusile and if it was not for those two power stations by today we will be in a total dark. These are the realities. 16,000 megawatts that is sitting right now. It's old power stations. I'm guessing you're not a big fan of Silili. No, no. I, I look. I support Cyril. I support his government, <laughs> but I don't agree to some of his policies. He sunk us into wrong policies with regards to his exiting out of coal. Coal is the mainstay of South Africa's economy. You can't exit, and then you can't. The other thing is, when Cyril took over, he found a functioning ESCOM. Well, was it? Because I don't know about that. I would dispute that. No, no there was no electric. I would there, say there, there was were, no load shedding. That's I would why. say there was already a problem, as I mentioned, under yeah. Alec Irwin. No, no, Alec Irwin who was, who was yeah. in Tabombeki's administration. True. The, the, you, you know, I, I so much love getting into conversations that that will, and we used to, I used to say this with the issues around Jacob Zuma, mm. that making this a personality yeah. problem terrible terrible is thing to do. is really missing out on what the bigger problem is the bigger problem is Cyril is not alone making decisions but neither but was Jacob Zuma alone in making decisions true. in fact one of the things that the African National Congress love to tell collective us about is their collective responsibility mm. but for some reason when we get into conversations of this nature it becomes about an individual whereas actually we need to consider that the collective responsibility for the problems we are in right now Correct. must be put at the doorstep of Lutuli House while they have Lutuli House. Yeah. No, no, get, don't, before they totally, get kicked out. Totally, right. No, no, it's over already. Lutuli House is being auctioned and if they can find the money, you know, wonderful. They are now in a hundred million rand dip in terms of debt because they, where are you going to create that money anyway? The membership is not going to pay for it. Mm -mm. So they're going to have to borrow again to make more concessions. Okay, so let's finish. We've got two two minutes left of this. Is this going to no? But hang on, Adil's made some really amazing points here, and people are loving it in the comments. Hey, they they people are just absolutely eating this. What up. are the comments? Okay, no, lots of people saying, "Thank God, someone finally speaking the truth." Uh, we are lazy. You're correct about that. Arab Spring. I'll make sure I'm far from the front lines. Uh, but the, but you've got people talking. So friend. do you think that energy is going to be the Achilles heel ultimately that destroys the ANC? Absolutely. Okay. The load shedding has it's completely reduced every confidence people had in the ANC. You don't think they'll suddenly switch it on four weeks before the election and because we're stupid, mm. we'll forget? Look, they will do that. <laughs> but again, it's not going to sustain. They will just keep up the lights so that the elections goes off smoothly and burn as much diesel, and somebody's going to make lots of money out of the diesel burning. Sure. A huge fortune. They've already spent 50 Petro billion. Say. I need to petrol say will be submitting, will no, be petrol. supplying <laughs> the diesel. No, no, they are, they are middlemen <laughs> on the diesel side of it, which are making a fortune out of it. You know, and uh, so what happens is, if, if, we, if, if the ANC does not keep the lights on during elections, yeah. they're going to lose elections outright. If they don't keep the lights on. But you don't think people will just forget about that, vote for them for the time they have the power, and then they'll switch it off again and they'll be back in Absolutely, in, in that's the whole plan. Okay, so that's their plan, but you don't think it's going to work? It's going to won't work. Remember, the certain class of society has already awoken to the madness that's going on and the lies that are being preached. So people are going to vote on a conscientious level. There will be a group of, the certain class of ANC voters who no matter what, you can even bang them with, with the, what you call a cast iron pens on their head. They will not give it up. <laughs> they are going to vote the ANC. Don't, don't worry about cast that. The ANC iron is... Pens. Yeah, you, you know, you can use a cast iron pen and bang them through. They will still come up, get up and say, I'm voting the ANC. So that part you can't change. There's nothing you're going to do. Nothing you can do about mm -hmm. it. And you have to accept the reality. So 30, 40% guaranteed voter, yeah. voter base. 
The others that are now so-called affluent, intelligent, can think, can the, reason. The, 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 what are they disparaging? You say they're the clever blacks. They're clever blacks. Yeah, you know, and and then then the liberal whites yeah. are going to completely show complete dust to this upcoming elections. Voting is an emotional um, action. Mm. It's not rational. It's not because you you are thinking through the and we can have all of the we we're gonna do a spreadsheet and we can have the X's and the ticks and the all of that, but voting is an emotional experience for all people who show up mm. to a ballot, True. and six hundred odd parties registered with the IEC, the the big losers are going to be people who are unable to tap into the emotion mm. of the electorate and swing them to their side because they are distracted by whatever they are distracted by. But I think that the the biggest loser in South Africa is mm. always going to be the South African citizens. Mm. If we, the yeah. ones who are really having bad. this conversation... Mm. Do not spend the energy convincing the people around us to show up mm. at the ballot and show up in a particular way. True. This Christmas, as you're spending the time with your kids, with your nieces and nephews and whatever, if they are 18 years and above, convince them to go and register to vote. Yeah. And then teach them about the importance of voting and what the things we are voting about Ah, it's important and it's your duty. Totally agree, Boom. That's the best way to end the show. So, Deal, uh, come and visit us again in the Thank dark so in the dark next year as, <laughs> as things ferment towards revolution. You'll have soul, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and very nice to have you in the studio. It's been a it's long been time coming, so pleasure. thank you. It's been such a pleasure. All right, ladies and gents, that's the burning platform for this morning. We will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Have an awesome day. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.